Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Should the Rays losing Rocco Baldelli and Charlie Montoya dampen their enthusiasm just a little next season? And is there a scenario where Bucks coach Dirk Cutter returns, but Jameis Winston or GM Jason Light do not? And what can the Bucks learn from the Lightning organization? We have your mailbag questions and so much more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick, before we get started on this podcast. Hey, are you ready for a magical day on the river with the manatees? Folks, if you haven't done this, you need to try it. I'm telling you, it's terrific. Seven days a week, you can experience the wonder and the magical charm with Captain Mike's Swimming with the Manatees in Crystal River. That's right. It's the ultimate family bonding experience. I've done this. It's amazing. These creatures are so gentle and enormous, and it's fun to swim with them. All you have to do is go up there and ask for the $30 Manatee Bronze Tour and be sure to ask about their free offer for active law enforcement officers and U.S. military. Requires a purchase of two silver tickets at a regular price, and then after that you're eligible for the free tour. Captain Mike's is the number one customized manatee tour company at Kings Bay in Crystal River. It's absolutely beautiful up there. The water's 72 degrees year-round. It's pure paradise. Ask about their pontoon boat rentals, their kayak rentals, bicycle rentals, and so much more. I'm telling you, you're going to have a great time with your family. You need to do this. Book online at swimmingwiththemanatees.com, or you can call 352 571 one eight eight eight. That's Captain Mike's swimming with the manatees. All right. So Steve uh, Eric Chernak made his NHL debut for the Lightning against Buffalo. Unfortunately, the Bolts fall two to one. Pretty good game. Uh, exciting at the end, I guess. Uh, what uh, Kucherov hit a post. Hit right two posts in the game. final minute to try to tie. Ugh. Brutal. Back to back losses for the first time this year for the Lightning. Buffalo looks better. Buffalo can skate a little bit. Buffalo's a much improved team of what you're used to seeing over the last few years. And the, and the Lightning, though, I mean, outshot Buffalo, I believe, in shot attempts tonight. It was something like 65 to 36 in this game. Wow. Um, sometimes it just, you know, Carter Hutton was phenomenal. Sometimes the puck just doesn't go in the net. Yeah, that's kind of – they had Louis Domingue in net for uh, for the Lightning. I guess they have quite a schedule coming up here about every other day. Every other day for the next play, three right? weeks through December 3rd they're playing, including wrapping that around Thanksgiving where they play Wednesday and Friday right around Thanksgiving. So pretty regular schedule now for the Lightning. They're uh, in Pittsburgh on Thursday night. Uh, then they're in Philly Saturday afternoon, Nashville on Monday night, and they return home next Wednesday right before Thanksgiving against the Panthers. So. Wow, that's a busy schedule right there. But yeah, Eric Chernak, um, uh, also a, a young defenseman who almost made the team out of camp. Right-handed shot, uh, was acquired during the Ben Bishop trade when they traded him to the LA Kings, got Peter Budai and Eric Chernak back. So uh, one of the future defensemen for the Lightning. Good chance to see him up with Anton Strahlman, uh, hurt right now and not playing. So uh, good move, I think, for the Lightning to see you know, bring him up, see what he can do. So uh, it's you know this is part of the future and, and Cal Foots the other right-handed defense shot defenseman uh, in the minors that'll be you know maybe at some point get a, a taste of the NHL this year and pr- probably next year be up on the team for at least part of the season. Yeah, tough way to start the road trip, but uh, again they still got two more before they come home. 
Um, meanwhile, Major League Baseball uh, had some announcements, or at least their manager of the year uh, was announced. And Kevin Cash, well, he finished third. And that's about what we expected, but I was surprised at who won the award. Yeah, Bob Melvin of the A's actually took first, not Alex Cora of the Red Sox. Of course, the A's you know, started off uh, the first two months of the season kind of out of the playoff hunt, not very well. And then they really turned it on the last three and a half, four months of the season uh, to uh, make the, the, the wild card in the AL West. Uh, and then Alex Cora, of course, the Red Sox had 108 wins in the regular season. Those votes are taken before the postseason, so uh, winning yeah. the World Series didn't impact that. But um, Bob Melvin first, Alex Cora second, Kevin Cash third. He had five first-place votes out of the 30 votes. So That's good. Um, Well-deserved by him. I mean, you know, I think had they made the playoffs, he had a shot to win it. But since they didn't make the playoffs, third is probably, probably accurate. Right. I mean, I, if I had to – to choose, I, I mean, I think Melvin would have been second on my ballot, and um, you know, I think Cora deserved it for the Red Sox. I mean, knowing, of course, what they did now, and it's kind of weird that they take that vote before the postseason, but I guess they have to do that. Um, the Cy Young Award, by the way, will be announced today in the American League and National League. Man, I really think that Blake Snell has this one locked down. He should. I, I saw. I think Mark Topkin put the stat out. That um, had Blake Snell pitched, I think thirty three in the third more innings to to equal Verlander's to inning match total. Verlander, mm-hmm. he could have given up twenty one earned runs and still had a lower ERA than Justin. God, think about that. I mean, that's an incredible stat right there. It, it really is. I mean, uh, Blake, Blake Snell, you know, led the league in wins and ERA. Absolutely deserves the Cy Young. If he doesn't, that's going to be a, a shame. Yeah, but we'll see if he if he's able to pull that off. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Bucks had some bad news. They placed running back Sean Wilson, their rookie, undrafted rookie from Duke, on uh, injury reserve. He got a shoulder injury the other day, uh, Sunday against the Washington Redskins. And Evan Smith, their longtime guard and center, he goes on IR as well with that hip injury. He's missed the last two games, unable to come back. So that's a tough break for him. Um, they promoted running back uh, Dare uh, Angumwale. Uh, from the practice squad, and then they re-signed linebacker Kevin Minter, and what's significant about that is some more bad news for the Bucks defense. Levante David, if you remember, he came out of that game against Washington with a knee injury. He finished the game, but he has a sprained MCL, and uh, I guess it could be worse. It could be a torn MCL, but uh, he could miss Sunday's game at the Giants, and that's significant because they have one Saquon Barkley, and you're missing now your two potentially – your two Pro Bowl linebackers, Quan Alexander's on IR already, and then maybe Levante David. They haven't ruled him out yet. We'll see how what happens if he's able to practice at all uh, before they go to New York. But that's not looking good for their defense when you're playing a team that likes to run the ball the way the Giants do. The thing about Minter, he was with the team earlier this year. I mean, he's a guy that's played a lot of football, so he can certainly step in and help them. Um, he was only here for one week. I think it was uh, a couple weeks ago, but uh, – but Minter, former LSU linebacker that's played a lot of football and uh, will probably will probably play for them quite a, quite a role, I would think, on Sunday um, at the Meadowlands. So we've got all your questions and a pretty good mailbag. It's, it's sort of, as you would expect, it's heavy with the Buccaneers with all that's going on. Of course, we're going to start Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback against the Giants. That came as a surprise to a lot of people. Jameis Winston should be the number two quarterback. Um, don't know how long this is going to last. The Dirk Cutter still thinks they have a chance to get on a little bit of a win streak here. The Giants just beat the 49ers on Monday Night Football, and they have to fly across the nation. Probably got back in about, uh, I don't know, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, you would imagine, on Tuesday. So it's going to be a quick week for them, quick turnaround for them. 
and uh, and then they host the Bucks, and then next week, um, you know, on Sunday, the San Francisco 49ers come here. So two two teams that, that have worse records than the Buccaneers right now, so I'm sure that Dirk is thinking, well, uh, we got a chance to win these two games and get on a run, and he trusts Ryan Fitzpatrick more than he does uh, than Jameis Winston. So lots of questions about the Bucs and their quarterbacks, and we're ready to go whenever you are, Steve. All right, well, we'll start with uh, Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Dirk Cutter. Uh, Douglas asks, you've talked about entitlement when it came to Winston in the quarterback position. Could Dirk Cutter not going immediately back to Jameis after a three-turnover day by Ryan Fitzpatrick be playing into that, even more than the loss of trust or just trying to win a football game? Well, I mean, I don't think he's trying to teach him a lesson. When I talked about entitlement, what I, what I, what I really meant was is I think that there was – sort of a feeling that Winston has probably had throughout his whole life in that he has never been removed from not playing a game for something other than discipline. No, no one ever told him uh, that he wasn't good enough, and I thought he, he kind of played the game like he had some entitlement, like there was not going to be any consequences if he went out there and threw it around. And a couple interceptions, no big deal. I'm still the best guy. They're going to play me the next week. That's no longer the case. And I don't think that, that Cutter is, is sending messages. I don't think – this is about humbling Jameis Winston. I think it's about who he trusts to win the game on Sunday. I mean, at the end of the day, they're both turning the ball over. I mean, you can't you can't dispute that. You know, if they sat Jameis Winston because he had ten turnovers and you know some three and a half quarters or, or three and a half games, whatever. Um, you know, well Ryan Fitzpatrick has had five in the last two games, so he's on the same pace. But Fitzpatrick made an awful lot of plays, and I'm sure they went back and looked at the film. And they saw where they had 501 total yards. And, yeah, he fumbled the ball, but that came after Mike Evans dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone. Um, you had drops by Cameron Brake down there. You had uh, you know, had some breakdowns uh, all over the field. You had the fumble by Jacquez Rogers that was not you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick's fault. So when you looked at the day uh, and some of the plays he did make, um, you know, he moved the team up and down the field. And I just think that at this point, Dirk Cutter has not given up on the season and he thinks that uh, Fitzpatrick gives him a better chance to win than, than Winston right now. And so it's kind of curious because you have so much invested in that 24-year-old quarterback that you're going to go with a guy uh, who's you know 35 and, and may not even play football. We don't know next year. Um, but that's the way Dirk Cutter is going. So uh, entitlement, nah, I, I think it just – right now I just think that Dirk, Dirk Cutter trusts uh, Jameis, or Ryan Fitzpatrick a little more than Jameis Winston right now. All right, Ellis asks, if Ryan Fitzpatrick comes out slow again on Sunday, is there any chance we see Jameis this week? Absolutely there is. Absolutely. I, this is about winning football games now, and like I said, I think it's a tough call. Uh, my, my information is that this was not like, oh, no, you got to play Fitzpatrick. It's not even close. Like I, They debated this. In fact, I believe this is true, that – after Fitzpatrick, um, you know, threw the interception in the third quarter, I believe it was, on Sunday, um, you know, against the Redskins, there was some there was some talk about maybe putting Jameis in there. Um, they decided to stick with Fitzpatrick. He 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 rallied from that. He brought him back down the field several other times. They had it inside the red zone five times. They came away with one field goal, which is just unbelievable. I was talking to somebody today with the Bucks, and they still can't believe that you could have 501 yards and score a field goal. What does that mean, that you could have 1,000 yards and, and score six points? I mean, what? I mean, the, the, the New Orleans Saints, the best stat of the week was that the Saints had 509 total yards, and they scored 51 against the Cincinnati Bengals, 
who, yes, fired their defensive coordinator after the game. But nonetheless, that's what you do when you when you have 500 and something yards. Um, but the Bucks managed only only a field goal. So, um, yeah, you could see Jameis Winston. I don't think that they're wedded, um, you know, to uh, Fitzpatrick. But uh, uh, but you know, and Winston, I think, will be the number two. All right, Thad asks. Is there something about Dirk Cutter's passing offense that might inherently foster a higher potential interception rate, a higher percentage of option routes maybe, creating more opportunities for miscommunication between the quarterback and wide receiver, or reading the option differently? You know, that's a great question. I would say that it is possible that that contributes to it in, in as much as I think Dirk is uh, somebody whose offense really emphasizes pushing the ball down the field uh, in the passing game. You know, he is not a dink and dunk um, sort of – West Coast offense guy. I mean, he, he, wants, he wants to drive the football uh, down the field. He's going to take shots, and those are low-percentage throws. Uh, now, that's not to say that, you know, he's not able to get guys open because I think on every pass combination, he does a really good job of having, you know, somebody, you know, a check down, intermediate, and then deep throws. So it's really up to the quarterback. For example, the first interception, they drove the ball right down the field and they emphasized all week, let's get off the fast start, fast start. And they won the coin toss, and usually the team that wins the coin toss defers to the second half and tries to steal an extra possession at the end of the first half and then have the ball coming out of the second half. Dirk Cutter said, no, 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 we're taking the football, old school. You know, we win the toss, we want the ball. And they did that because they wanted to start fast on offense, and if they didn't score, uh, help their defense and dictate field position, and so they did that, and they drove all the way down there. But then they had a play that they had put in for, for that week against, you know, against Washington with Sean Wilson, who, as you know, Sean Wilson isn't normally on the field, but you got Ronald Jones is hurt right now. So they ran Wilson across the formation on a flag route, and Fitzpatrick has Adam Humphreys wide-ass open on a crossing route right in front of him. It's going to be a first down and then probably then some, probably get inside the 15, 10-yard line. And instead, he takes the shot play, you know, and that's the one they had dialed up specifically for this game, and he just missed him. He, he overthrew him. Wilson's not the biggest guy in the world, and Josh Norman was playing behind him and makes a nice, a nice uh, interception. So, um, yeah, I think that there are always an option to go to drive the ball down the field with Dirk's offense, and sometimes I think that the, the quarterbacks try to get too greedy. And so, you know, again, it's not really on Dirk's design necessarily, but then, you know, you could say that some of those throws uh, to emphasize chunk plays in the passing game are lower percentage. So, I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a catch-22. So I guess the bigger answer is, yeah, it could contribute to it, but I wouldn't blame it on the, on the design of the offense necessarily. It's also the quarterback with the ball in his hands. All right, we got several questions pertaining to this, so I'll read one or two of them. They're all kind of the same, but yeah. Um, Darren asks, I know this will never happen, but I really think the Bucks should keep Cutter and fire Jason Light. Then hire Scott Pioli as the new GM. I believe they worked together with the Falcons in 2014. What do you think? Now, Steven asks, if the offense continues to put up yards and points, but the team can't win games, do you see a scenario where Dirk Cutter comes back and Jameis Winston and or Jason Light go? Meanwhile, Les asks, since Cutter obviously doesn't trust Jameis, does that mean if somehow Dirk survives this, that means Jameis won't be back? So is there a scenario where Dirk's back and the other two are maybe not? Um, I guess there's a scenario. I think it's unlikely. 
Uh, I think it's more likely that Dirk and, and Jason are probably going to be judged the same. And rightly or wrongly, you know, my my perception of it is is that the quarterback has stands probably the best chance of coming back. And that might sound weird to everybody, but I still believe that. I mean, uh, from an organization standpoint, I know they're playing Ryan Fitzpatrick because they're trying to win, and you have to let your head coach make those decisions. You know, you can't have owners – at least right now, while the math still works. I mean, they may have to run the table to get to 10 wins or they could lose one and get to nine, but I think they still have to let Cutter decide who his players are. Um, The minute you start picking lineups as an ownership, then the coach is just going to walk out of the building because what would you hire him for? So I think that, you know, this being his last year, if it was his second year, there might be a different conversation between everybody. Um, But, you know, to me – you know, I still think Winston has a future, and, and I, might be, I might be one of the few people that thinks that, but, you know, I think we're going to see him play again this season um, as soon as, like I said, as soon as the math doesn't work or Fitzpatrick doesn't play well, I still think we're going to see him play some games, and, and I still think that no matter what they do, um, they're going to want to see if they can find a way to give him that fifth year, and maybe it's at $20 million, $20.9 million. maybe it's a uh, something like they did with Blake Bortles in Jacksonville and give him a two-year deal and split up the money a little bit. I just don't know. Um, as far as, you know, Dirk surviving, here's the tough thing about Dirk is that no matter what, he will have left the Bucks or or at least be remembered as putting in the most prolific offense in franchise history. Um, you may not see another offense in Tampa Bay that can move the ball uh, as efficiently and, 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 and have as many yards, if not points, as they've had under Dirk Cutter. And that's a tough thing because he's the architect of the offense. So when you lose him, unless you keep Todd Munkin, which is possible, depending on who the coach is, and I don't think Todd's going to be their head coaching candidate, you're going to see that offense walk out of the building. Um, so there's, there's, a, you know, there's a definite – reason to like what Dirk has done but remember that he's also the head coach and it could just be that Dirk is a great offensive mind a great offensive coordinator but not so good at being a head coach and there's nothing wrong with that there's a lot of guys that have have done that that you you find out you know I I thought Rod Marinelli is one of the best defensive minds I've ever been around really successful as a as a line coach and a coordinator and he went to Detroit and there was a lot of reasons for this but he went 0-16 you know maybe not the best head coaching candidate so that happens. So, it, it, you know, you got to decide, do we want him back as a head coach, not, not just an offensive coordinator? With Jason, um, I can almost wipe out his first year because Lovey Smith was in charge and, um, you know, Jason was sort of handpicked by Lovey. Um, but since then, they just haven't won enough. And, you know, they could look at, uh, even though he has another year under contract uh, beyond this year, they could look at, at what he has done to the offense and what he's built there and say, wow, really like the players he's surrounded Jameis Winston with. And, and then it comes down to what you think of Jameis Winston. So, um, I, but I tend to think that Dirk and, and Jason are both going to kind of be looked at the same. And, um, you know, that, that means they need to win. So we'll see how it goes. I, 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 don't, I don't see Dirk coming back without Winston. And I, I don't know that I see him coming back without Jason Light or, or one of those guys in, instead of the other. It's just it seems like it's all tied together to me. Is there any chance we're going to see RG4 this year? 
Um, yeah, there is. Because I, I think the next time you move to Winston, what I would do is make Fitzpatrick my inactive quarterback. And I say that because you're probably – unless it's a scenario where he comes in and wins the game, say, on Sunday and you're still in it. But if it gets to the point where, you, you know, you've got – seven and certainly eight losses at that point it doesn't matter what Fitzpatrick does you don't need him I mean you know come off the bench don't come off the bench it doesn't matter you've seen enough of him he's under he's not got a contract beyond this year you have never seen Ryan Griffin in a regular season game he probably deserves and needs to play uh, at least be in a position to play if should something happen to the starter I would let him be the number two and I would make uh, Fitzpatrick probably inactive at that point behind Winston so I, I w- it's not going to be the number one goal of, of the franchise, but you sure would serve yourself well if you could at least see Ryan Griffin um, in a backup role or maybe even play. You know, you might have a game where, you know, it's a mop-up situation one way or the other. Maybe you're way ahead or way behind, where if he's the number two, you can get him in the game and at least get him that first snap. I mean, my God, the guy's played five, six years now, never played a, reg- a snap in a regular season game. I would think you'd want to get that off his resume. All right, Alejandro asked, what can the Bucks organization learn from the Lightning organization moving forward? Well, Steve, you know that Lightning organization as well as I do, so I'd like to get your input on this. But what I would say is this, that, and, and I think it's true in all of sport, but, but certainly the, the sport I cover, I, I think that ownership is the difference in, in good franchises. I think everything starts at the top. I, I don't think it's an accident that, Bob Kraft wins, even though Belichick has been the, the constant as head coach and Brady, the quarterback. Um, you know, my wife works ready to Bartolo, and, you know, I followed all those 49er teams when he was the owner there, and, and I saw the people he hired. Uh, I know how he operates as a businessman. I, I watched his organization win five Super Bowls when he was the owner out there. Um, you can go on and on. I mean, the, the best teams in sport usually start with really good ownership. And for better, and and in this case worse, the Glazer family, after Malcolm died, just hasn't had that success. And whether it's because, you know, they don't have anyone to turn to as a team president, I think that might be a structure they want to look at. Um, You know, you just got to have somebody who... uh, Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's committed to winning um who and i think the glazers want to win let me make that clear i i've talked to them enough you know a lot of people get on them well you keep changing coaches but you can look at it, it this way too is like you know they want to win so you know they're not gonna they're not gonna you know force something that's not working if it's not working they want to move on and try to get it right but they haven't gotten it right and there's a lot of things that they probably need to look at as an organization as to why that is but um, the structure that they've had um, has not netted the best people, I guess. I mean, at least, at least that, that chemistry or that combination has not been there. So maybe they need a team president. Maybe you need somebody. You know, I mean, look, what the Lightning did 
and getting Steve Eiserman, to me, that was that was their stroke of genius. I mean, Eiserman was able to build an organization from the minor leagues up. He understood hockey. Um, well, how, and hiring to Todd Lewicki too was that was part of that Absolutely. initial management Absolutely. group. Um, you know, he really yeah. stabilized a lot of the rest of the franchise while Eiserman built the hockey side. Sure, um, and you need that. It's a double-edged sword, and, and because the best owners are the ones who hire great people and get out of the way and, and create, Usually, sta- yeah. and, and create stability. That's right. But the hard part is, is if you've hired someone and it's not working, yeah. do you stay with stability and not make the change or do you make the change and try to fix it? Which is what the Glazers have tried to done is that, sure. you know, for whatever reason it, it feels like, and you and I have talked about this before that, uh, you know, I believe the Glazers want to win. I don't, I, I, I don't think they've, they've had, whether it's bad luck or bad decision-making or just don't know how to find the right people to run their organization. Yeah. That, that you know, that, I mean, really, and you know the Bucks organization more than I do, but they've had one transformational figure in their history that really changed the franchise, and that was Tony Dungy. Mm-hmm. Completely changed the culture and everything about the franchise. And they yep. haven't been able to find someone that can, that can just change a culture since then. I mean, I, you, well, can, you can make an argument Gruden did, but completely changed it differently, I, I, although he did win, and he's a hell of a coach, but mm-hmm. he can tear your organization down, too. Well, here's, here's the, the problem I think the Glazers have run into a little bit, and that is that, um, you know, when Tony Dungy was hired, okay, Rich McKay was the team president and then became the general manager, uh, and, and, and Tony doesn't get enough credit for his personnel sort of decision-making, and, and when I'm he had two Hall of Fame players sitting here, but they weren't Hall of Fame players when he got here. He, he put them in the right positions in Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks. They had Hardy Nickerson, who set the tone in practice. You know, Tony's temperament and his, his ability to, to know what he needed and be able to explain that to scouts and, tra- and, and, and communicate that, you know, and, and choose good people, whether it was Warwick Dunn or, um, you know, continue with guys like Mike Allstott and, um, you know, make the trade for Brad Johnson, stuff like that. Um, he was instrumental in a lot of those personnel decisions, but, but Rich McKay worked with him. Rich McKay listened to him and understood exactly what he wanted. Uh, and Tony was a guy that, you know, looked at the roster and said, hey, we don't need a lot. We, we're going to draft and we're going to develop the guys we have here. We got as much as anybody else. We're not going to make excuses and say, well, you know, we need to go out to free agency. No, let's, let's take the players we have. John Lynch and others and put them in the right spots and develop these guys. And so he was really good at that, that aspect of it. And that was the defense that developed and became a Super Bowl defense. Um, but I think what happened after that, you know, John comes in and wins a Super Bowl, right? Rich is the GM. Well, John ate Rich alive. And I remember Rich saying that when he was standing on the podium in San Diego, talking about how, you know, the, the confetti's falling and Bon Jovi's playing my life, McKay knew it was over, you know, because he knew that John now had the owner's admiration and eternal gratitude and that John could pretty much begin now to be like he is in Oakland. He's going to run over Reggie McKenzie. I mean, Reggie McKenzie has no chance, right? That, that GM is going to be gone by the end of the year. I mean, Mark Davis has come out and said as much uh, if you read between the lines. So, you have kind of the strong mayor, strong coach 
scenario where he's making the decisions. He's buying the groceries. So he handpicks Bruce Allen, who's not a good personnel guy, becomes a yes man. John's not good at personnel. And then, you know, they go down in terms of drafting and, and, and become, you know, sort of a mercenary stop for all the free agents in the world. And then they go and, you know, um, they get a, a neophyte, you know, a first-year coach in, in Raheem Morris, and they take a guy that's been in the organization 19 years, and Mark Dominic, who's not prepared to be a GM, even though he's been around for 19 years. That's not his strength uh, for communication and other reasons. And they kind of go on the cheap, and it doesn't work out, you know. And then you go to a college guy, and you give him all the power. Well, Greg Schiano, you know, probably shouldn't have had all the all the power uh, or the power that he did that he did have, even though Mark Dominic was still the GM. I think Schiano sort of ran over Mark a little bit uh, with respect to personnel, you know. And, and then it was Lovey Smith's turn, and Lovey because he was he was a guy that had been in the league nine years. He insisted on having the fifty three man roster decisions and he handpicked his GM who was a guy who had never been a GM before and you gave too much power to Lovey Smith because personnel is probably not his strength probably not not the guy that should be should be picking the players so you know structurally they've not really landed on you know this this sort of combination of coach GM that they need that works well together I think Cutter and, and Light have had some successes, um, but Jason's had a lot of failures because Jason is, had never been a GM till he got here. So you got to let a guy like that grow into the – so, you know, to me, if you could find a football that, that, you know, like a Howie Roseman is in Philadelphia who knows what he wants to do from a personnel side, hires the coach, um, knows what that coach needs in terms of – draft picks and, and system and how it's going to all fit together, that's where you have a good success. I mean, and you're right. you got to hire good people like Eiserman and, and then, you know, the vision on the coaches. And, and Eiserman knew sort of what, you know, what John Cooper was about, you know, and, and he fired Guy Boucher when Guy Boucher was pretty successful early on. Um, and he built the minor league system and he built the scouting department. They hired the right guy. And, and I just don't think that the Glazers – have found somebody on the football side that could could put it all together just yet. You know what I mean? Um, for whatever reason, they wound up with Dirk and Jason. Jason, you know, essentially hired Dirk and thought it would work out, and it hasn't. It just hasn't worked. Um, and but I think that's that goes back to again Lovey choosing Jameis Winston, who hasn't who hasn't worked. <laughs> you know, and so. Um, when the number one quarterback falls down, that happens. It's a long answer, but I mean, I, I do, I do think they can learn from the lightning. But it's like you said, Steve, you've got to have the right people in charge of your operations, and then be able to step back and say, what do you need in terms of resources? Well, I mean, look, the Glazers have the best facility. They have an indoor facility. They've done. They've given them everything they need to win. Mm-hmm. There's really no excuses except they can't find the right guys to take them over the top. All right, well, Steve asks, after that long answer, when will the immeasurable suffering and torment finally end, and or will a pint of Haagen-Dazs f- help ease this pain? <laughs> I say go for the Haagen-Dazs right now. In fact, get two pints in case the first one is gone too quickly because this is going to be a lot of pain coming up here. I know I'm going to need some Haagen-Dazs before this is over. I mean, look, it, this is an ugly time of the season, and, you know, 
the the weird thing is I'm not a fan, but I but I do I do have relationships with a lot of these guys, and I know what this feels like, and I've been through this too many times, and I'm here to tell you, yeah, absolutely, go get some Hagadots and make sure everybody has one because it could get really. We still got. I mean, here's the thing: we still have, you know, almost half a season to go. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot more drama that's going. I mean, think about the drama that we've already had with, you know whether it's Deshaun Jackson asking for a trade or, you know, the Fitzmagic, the suspension, the, you know, the benching back to, I mean, it's just been, we, we still have a long way to go. Yeah. There's what, seven August. games left. So you're only nine games in. You're not to Thanksgiving. Yeah. I know. Even though that's coming up fast, folks. It is. My favorite holiday, by the way. Is it? Absolutely. I mean, I love Christmas too, but the, the great thing about Thanksgiving is it comes with Christmas. In other words, you know, you you got football and you can eat all day mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you got family and and then when that's all over, boom, put up the Christmas stuff. It's awesome. And mine used to be I as a kid I loved New Year's Day. Because it was all New the Year's college football cool. bowl games. Now there's a lot but it was of sad. now they've spaced them out, but there were so many games and we would, you know, sit there all day just in front of the T V. You can binge, flip in yeah. between games and you know, whether it was the Rose Bowl, you know, it was always at, you know, 5 o'clock in the Sugar Bowl in the evening. Ooh, the granddaddy of them all. And you had, you know, so right. many bowl games early starting, usually at 11 a.m. And oh, it was, that was oh, my yeah. favorite day. We would just sit there. And, Lindsey mean, Nelson in the Cotton Bowl, yeah. Yeah, and Absolutely. we loved that day growing up. But now it's a little, with the college football playoff, and they've spaced all the bowls out now, so none of them are on at the same time for television, of course. Right. You can't binge as much. As a kid, though, like I hated New Year's Eve or New Year's Day because it, it signaled to me I was going back to school really soon, and that the holidays were over. You know what I mean? New Year's Day seemed more like an adult holiday. I mean, everybody's kind of mm-hmm. hungover from the night before, or whatever. But but it's like you know you got yeah you got football, and then boom, it's like it's the end of football, right? It's the end of college mm-hmm. football. Playoffs are just kind of starting the NFL, but it's it's like you also knew like ah oh, man, the holidays are over. This sucks. And you got a whole year, you know, January 1st, and you flip the calendar, and now it's going to be, you know, 2019, and how weird, you know. There was just always that sort of anxiety. I don't know. I'm a weird guy. This is weird up there, man. It's weird. It's weird where I'm thinking. <laughs> it really is. It's weird up there. Well, let's transition to baseball here. Rooting for UF asked, should the loss of Charlie Montoyo and Rocco Baldelli dampen our enthusiasm for the 2019 AL East champion Rays? Absolutely not. Um no, I don't think it should dampen them. I mean, look, I I would think that it's a loss for sure. Both those guys, I mean, that's what happens when you're a good organization. I mean, other teams come in and try to whittle away the secret sauce. And so those aren't easy replacements. But remember when Jim Hickey was the pitching coach and, you know, you had all of Joe Madden's guys and Foley and all these guys, you thought, wow, how are they going to replace them? Well, you know, guys like Rocco Baldelli and Charlie Montoya, I mean, there are other guys that are going to bring they're going to bring into this organization. They're going to have their own spin on things, but you should be happy for guys. I mean, it's, it's a great story that Rocco Baldelli uh, gets a managerial job with the Twins and Montoya goes to to Toronto, and and that means that Kevin Cash is doing the right things because those are guys on his staff, and that's you want to see his coaching tree grow. Um, now they got to replace him, which won't be easy because those are exceptional exceptional men. But uh, it's an opportunity, too, to, to grow uh, some people in your organization. I mean, we saw that, you know, last year um, with the guys they brought up from, from AAA Durham, you know, uh, on, on his staff last year, whether it was the pitching coach or, you know, I mean, there's, there's always 
always good people that are waiting for those chances and it's what they do with them. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't think I wouldn't dampen the spirits at all. I think, I think the Rays are on the right path and they got good people in the organization all the way through the minors. I still say, I mean, yes, the loss of Montoya and Baldelli, you know, can hurt the organization, but at least Matt Quattrero will not be coaching third base and sending runners home to get thrown out. So he's moving to the bench. So this oh, is a good move. No, I- I'll tell you, Matt Quattrero is going to find you up there in the box one day with, 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 with Dave and Andy. And he's going to wring your neck. As I've, said, as I've said, he might be a tremendous coach in everything else he does, but I didn't think he was very good at sending runners home from third base. <laughs> I have no idea oh, what else he did on the team as far as you know, hitting, help, you know, helping hitters or coming up with scouting reports or whatever else he's doing. I just didn't think he was very good at picking when to send runners home. Oh, well, picking when to send him. Because if you just say, was he good at sending him home? Oh, he could send well, him home. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. Sometimes, no, knowing, sometimes knowing they got to... Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they got home and, and the ball was waiting for them, but he definitely ran them home. I mean, <laughs> yes, he had that yes. arm going. Yeah, let me clarify yeah. that. Knowing when to send a runner home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, that's different. It's different. All oh, right, Les asked, and this isn't necessarily a raised question, but with Joe, with Joe uh, Maurer retiring, it got him thinking. With the emphasis on sabermetrics, is Maurer the last legitimate offensive threat at catcher we'll see? Pitch framing seems to be more important now. He's the best hitting catcher, I think, since Johnny Bench. Yeah, I think he might be. Um, I don't know if he's the last. I mean, there is a big emphasis on 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 the defensive part of 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 the game with catching. It's kind of swung. You know, it used to be that was always the case. I mean, your catchers they didn't care if you hit squad douche. I mean, it was like you have to be a great defensive guy, handle pitchers, and all that. And and it may have come back to that. Um, well, I, I, th- I think part of it. I, th- I, yeah, I don't know if it's the last, but I think part of it is. But it's rare. Well, the catchers only play maybe 120 games a year, so if you've yeah. got a really good hitting catcher, do you want him only in the You're lineup 120 him. times, or do you want him in there 150 times and Not find a different that, position it, for him? Well, that and that's what they did with Mauer. I mean, mm-hmm. eventually you're going to get too beat up back there, and so the injuries you sustain as as a catcher mm-hmm. is going to keep you out of the lineup, and and and, and you're going to get nicked alive whether you take shots off the hands, and now you can't swing the bat, and now you're on the disabled list, and so. Well, and it's also the amount yeah. of time you're working with the pitchers and scouting reports, and yeah, and all this, that, that yeah. you you take away from working on your hitting or your your craft. Sure, um, you know sure. You're, you're you're focused more on the defensive side of the game, so. You know, I don't know if we'll ever see a, a catcher as as good as Joe Maurer again hitting. I mean, I, I think Les is right in that regard because uh, I think I'll say this: you, you're not going to find a better athlete than Joe Maurer to play back there. You know, this guy was like Mister Everything in Minnesota, uh, state high school mm-hmm. quarterback, all state, great basketball player. I mean, he Yo, was he just was Mister Everything. Athlete. Yeah, he he was Mister oh. Everything in St. Paul there, and I lived up there for three years while he played. There was no bigger superstar period in that town. No. And it, it's, you know, Minnesota's a football and a hockey town first before baseball. Sure. There was no bigger star than Joe Maurer. Absolutely. Yeah. So you won't see that maybe for a very long time, if ever. I like yeah, Joe Yeah, Maurer. for him to go to his hometown like that was, for Minnesota, was phenomenal. It's a cool story. Yeah, really cool story. All right, now the college football rankings came out on Tuesday night. Really no changes as uh, all, te- all the top 10 teams won this past week, which hasn't happened in a long time, actually, where all 10 teams uh, went on the same week in college football. Usually there's a buy or two in there as well. But this week they all won. But Steve asked, mm-hmm. and, and we'll talk to Matt Baker tomorrow, so we'll have a lot more college football stuff on the podcast tomorrow. Steve asked, do you think Charlie Strong is doing a good job recruiting for the future, 
or was he hoping to win enough games to move on to a larger program quickly? Um, well, look, I, he's won a lot of games. I, I don't know what, what Charlie's goals are. I would think that, you know, having coached in, in Power 5 conferences, that that would be what he'd want to do um, is to get back to one. But that said, I, I, I think he's done as, as good a job as he can trying to build this program. I don't think he's slacked off. This isn't a Jimbo Fisher type thing where he's got his eyes on another, on another position. You know, this the, the thing about USF is that you know, I mean, Quentin Flowers was such a big part of why they won, and they lose him, and so he's hard to replace. But more than that, they lost a ton of defensive players. I mean, you know, they had like six guys either go to the NFL on a practice squad or be drafted or what or sign as undrafted free agents, whatever. And, you know, especially up front on defense, you don't have Augie Sanchez, who's 245 pounds sitting in the middle. They give up a lot of rushing yards. Um, you know, they're a young team. They, they had a fifth-year senior quarterback, um, which is a tough thing to do to come into a program late. And, you know, you got one year to play. And, and I think Blake Barnett did a good job, although he, he wasn't able to play last week. So from what I understand, they've recruited pretty well. But, um, you know, time will tell. I mean, he's only been there a couple of years. So, you know, basically his guys are like redshirt freshmen or sophomores right now. Look, the loss of a, a quarterback like a Quinton Flowers in college football is massive. I mean, look at what happened to Louisville this year without Lamar Jackson. Right. Oh, God. You know, yeah. Bobby Petrino's now been fired and they, they've been a, a, you know, a train wreck there. Um, this sport is so much quarterback driven now. When you have an athlete like, like Quentin Flowers playing there, you're going to have a drop-off after that. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting at UCF, you know, when McKenzie Milton moves on. You know, he's such a dynamic quarterback there that what are they going to do to replace him in that? Absolutely. Um, and I believe he's a junior this year, so I think he's got one more year potentially. But the quarterback position in, in football, period, whether – I mean, that's what, we, that's what we talk about nonstop in the NFL. James Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, who's your quarterback? Any level. Is that high school? The sport is now so quarterback driven. Absolutely. That, you know, if you can't find, you know, you can't find a good quarterback, then you're not going to be, you're not going to be an elite team. I mean, you know, we've talked in this podcast about Jim Harbaugh, and this year he's finally got a quarterback, which is why he's in the mix. Sure. Um, You know, he just didn't have quarterbacks the last few years to, to really put himself in the mix. So, Anytime you lose that quarterback now, what can Charlie Strong do to find that quarterback, to find the next one? That's going to be that's going to be determined how good they are going forward. Yeah, and he, you know, maybe he's already got him in the program. I mean, you know, they they played. Uh, I forget what school he was from. A kid from Sickles, maybe or somewhere the other night. Um, when uh, when Barnett was down, he did okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got to completely restock that position, and you've got to have more than just one guy. I mean, look what Florida's going through right now. I mean, you know, I, I'm. I mean, they've been up and down. Any, any team um, that has doesn't find the guy is going to struggle a little bit. And and in college football, um, you know, it's probably even more so. But but Quentin Flowers was a special athlete. I mean, the way he did it, running and passing, and um, you know, they adapted that offense to him. He was special. And you know, we'll see. We'll see if Charlie can find him. It just they don't grow on trees, folks, and, and if, if they're good, they're going to end up at your Power 5 schools, you know what I mean? So you've got to find the guy that somehow f- slipped through the cracks or you know transferred out of a Power 5 school because he wasn't playing like a Blake Barnett, somebody like that, um, that you're fortunate enough to get, you know, to get into the fold. But you're right, Lamar Jackson's, I mean, Bobby Petrino can coach. You know, we saw him win a ton of games, and yet, you know, Lamar Jackson moves on to the NFL, and now all of a sudden he's fired. So... 
it can happen. All right, so some really good questions. Thanks for the mailbag. Hope you guys enjoyed that segment. Um, as always, you can interact with us. Uh, don't need a mailbag to do it. You can do that on Twitter, at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'll be back at One Buck Place uh, today, later today. Talk to um, the Bucks and, and of course, uh, lots going on there with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, you know, the whole defensive situation, get an update on Levante David's health. Um, you know, tough game against the Giants coming up in New York, and they absolutely have to win that one. The Cy Young Award winner will be announced for both leagues. Blake Snell, Blake Snell, Blake Snell, Blake Snell should get that one uh, for the Rays, but we'll see if he can outduel maybe uh, Jason Verlander for that. So lots going on. And remember, uh, folks, if you don't have a chance, you, you got to try this. Go see uh, uh, Captain Mike swimming with the manatees in Crystal River. You're not going to regret it. It is the ultimate family bonding experience. They can help you with uh, kids of all ages and uh, make sure you get up there and uh, and swim with those creatures. There, it is amazing. I've done this. You will. It's one of the Florida things you must do. It should be on your bucket list. Call them at three five two five seven one one eight eight eight, or you can go to Swimming with the Manatees dot com and book online for steve versnick i'm rick stroud of the tampa bay times have a great day everybody hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing i love that luxury quality within reach go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com style